0: I was due to defend my title against Triple H. So where in the hell does The Rock think he could get involved in my match? Oh my! God. He almost cost me the title. The Undertaker is still the man. He is still the toughest man in the yard. Just to show you where my heart is, I've given you what you wanted, Vengeance. You've got the Rock. Whether you're the champion or not, you got what you want. At vengeance, you got the rock. No, whether I'm champion or not, what's that supposed to mean? The WWE undisputed title on the line! The Undertaker to meet Kurt Angle! the oh, time it is cold. It could be time for the last oh, time! Hey, the Undertaker oh, trying to gain some oh, leverage This match is a draw! Therefore, still, WWE Undisputed Champion, the Undertaker! Due to the controversy surrounding the Kurt Angle versus Undertaker match, and in the interest of fairness, the main event at Vengeance will now be Kurt Angle versus The Rock versus the Undertaker in a triple threat matchup for the undisputed WWE Championship. just took control of his yard. The Undertaker asserting himself as champion. Fear me so deep,
1: it gets the best of me. In the fear I fall, here it comes face to face with me. Here I
0: To take a beating, the snot out of the Rock. Kurt Angle steel chair oh, oh, to the back. Of the Undertaker. Kurt Angle ankle lock. Kurt Angle bound to make the Rock tap, and the Bumblebees tap it out. No one can see everything on the other side of me. I walk, I crawl, everything on the downfall. men, one goal, Four. an undisputed title.
2: Hello and welcome to July Wrestling twenty years ago, and it is me, Lacy. I have the boy del and uh, I found some scruff bag around the back of the chair somewhere. I think he's come out of hiding. It's that Rory. I'm back, and I'm better than ever. ever. How are we, lads?
3: Yeah, how are we, Del? I've, Del might have had something to say about my haircut a couple of minutes before we came up on air, so he gave I mean, me that I one, Macy. I was
4: more concerned I was going to have to now refer to you as Daddy, but... <laughs>
3: Enough of that in this house as it is, even with the, even with a 10-week-old, it's... um. Well, we're trying to get her to say Dada at the moment, but it's going to be Mama first, let's be honest about it, so I know well, my she's place. She's
4: going to have to introduce him, to him first of all, surely, but... <laughs>
3: <laughs> welcome back rory So <laughs> well, you knew you were gonna get it when you agreed it's, it's, it's too fucking easy though isn't it that is low-hanging fruit for mr Muir. come on <laughs> so
2: it's
3: be a bit of a challenge
2: rory let's get let's get some news in and then we can uh, get on the road to vengeance Yep, I think I remember how to do this. Hell has frozen over. So, in one of the strangest appearances of Expectations, easy fucking E, Eric Bischoff, is back and working for Vince McMahon. He is only a TV role. It is just to be the GM of Raw, and he has no creative power. But... Who the
4: fuck saw this one happening? Del? The problem is everybody saw this coming because they actually revealed it prior to the reveal On the, the logic of actually giving this away, understandably if it was maybe, I mean, the tape that i seen, God love on the boy that stays at the back of my mod, like, pauses it when the adverts come on, so it might have been pre-commercial. I can understand that to get the views up, so, Eric Bischoff's on Boys, you mean why I watch this? That I can understand, but taking it away for the audience, I, I didn't quite understand that. But as you say, for, for shock appeal, I mean we, we talked the last time, let's say, about Rousseau kind of getting his fingers back in a wee bit, but even for the king of the swear, this is this is up there for for reveals, but I'm intrigued. I can say no more or no less, but I'm certainly intrigued.
2: See, with the fact that he's got no creative control on it, does make it a little more comforting to know that we're not going to get...
4: We're not going to get super bikes falling from the rafters and (laughs) the king of wrestling making his entrance. Exactly. Rory,
2: I know you've been away for a bit, but I take you've been keeping up with uh, what's been going
3: on. Oh, ever the pro, you know me.
2: What the fuck is this?
3: <laughs> yeah, Eric Bischoff coming back. Yeah, okay. So I certainly agree with Del, first off, that ruining it three minutes beforehand, on the reveal on that Raw, and it was only an interaction with Booker T, for goodness sake. I mean, God bless him, but if you want to see Eric Bischoff back on your screen after a year and a half at WWF, WWE, I've been away for a while, then really an interaction with Booker T, is that really what we're starting with? That's... You want to aim a little bit higher than that, best will in the world. And yeah, they wanted people to phone up their mates during the break. But does anybody really do that? You know, does anybody watching Raw have mates in the first place? You know, they're really overthinking it, aren't they? Let's be honest about this. But I thought the eventual reveal of Ask the Right Word was extremely well done. Bischoff seemed genuinely happy to be there. I thought his promo, if you can call it that, hit all the right marks. It should be noted as well that it wasn't. All his own words. It was written by one Stephanie McMahon. There you go. Mm. There's a little tidbit for you. I've got to say, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't known it. But it just goes to show that Eric Bishop indeed has no creative input whatsoever. even with his great, why am I in WWE for fuck's sake promo? Won't even let him have that privilege. But we might well come back to this again a bit later. I've really enjoyed him on my screen the last couple of weeks. Really seems to be getting into it. He doesn't have the pressure of creative. He doesn't have to do anything but turn up when he wants. No, Flash that smile, make sure we're just for men's locked in. And he is at least at the moment enjoying it. I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy where it seems to be going from the end of this month into next month. He's yet another foil for another McMahon family psychodrama but then maybe he kind of expected that going in. But it's all fine and dandy at this point in time. As long as Bischoff himself is happy with that, then I think I am. We know Vince McMahon is, but that's for slightly different reasons. <laughs> so next up, Rory. Yep, I shall just call it back up. Uh, the NWO, dead within six months.
2: In a surprise to no one, Vince decided that he didn't want really want the NWO. That was helped by Kevin Nash tearing his quad... In his first match, in mumps, literally in the ring for less than a minute, falling apart. The week later, Vince came out to the NWO music, told him that it was fucking dead. X-Pac's been sent off on a sabbatical. Shawn Michaels has changed from the leader of the NWO back to just being HBK. And the big show is just the big show. Uh, we all said when this happened that we didn't expect it to uh, to be gangbusters and game-changing like the original NWO, but fuck me, it's six months? I gave it at least a year.
3: Rory? It was always going to end this way, though, wasn't it? And that was a work of art. Not that I want to see anybody. Even Kevin Nash go down with an injury of any kind. But it was a fucking work of art, how he literally went down with an injury. The timing was impeccable in that big tag team match. One tag, two steps, three falls. (laughs) And ah, 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 as he goes down. Referee throws up the X. You couldn't have written that. It was too fucking perfect, which is about all we can say about this incarnation of the NWO. I've got to say, I think you're being a bit kind, Lacey. I always suspected it was going to end in tears from the very second Vince McMahon's Spanish chair round about SmackDown at the end of January we discussed, and it was always going to be a pale facsimile of the fifth-generation tracing paper that was the invasion angle, anyway. <laughs> so I take no pleasure in saying this, but my intimations that I made on our July show, that oh, on our January show, but this was going to fuck up. Uh, came to fruition. I really, really hate to say. I sol- say, hate. To, cannot. I cannot say. I hate to say. I told you so. But I really, really did. Oh boy.
4: As, as Rory says, uh, there's nothing else you can really add. To. I've got to add one more thing, which sums it up even better than what Rory McNamara just said. And even in your summation, at least you never even mentioned Scott Hall because nobody else has mentioned Scott Hall because we don't even know where he is. And the fact that even summarising how terrible well, and much I, I can tell you where Scott Hall is, he's in oh, fucking TNA. I, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know on TV what the situation is with him, he doesn't get mentioned, and it just sums up the NWO. They came in Hall was away within almost days, about weeks say, at Hartman. Hogan, they didn't think was going to be getting back into the red and yellow because obviously what we've seen at WrestleMania with him and Rocky. The Sean thing didn't really make sense to start with six-pack, with don't know, and Nash was just, Nash was a work of art. It was literally crossing the ring, not even running. He could have just broke kayfabe for the final time and actually ran in the ring. No, he didn't even do that. Three steps across the ring, buckle in the corner with Bubba. That was it, lest we forget.
2: know we don't we don't ever want to wish harm on
4: folk but yeah
2: it fucking made sense and was like perfect for this absolute fucking train wreck of what they did with the nwo for them to die on its ass with one of them literally dying on his ass
3: (laughs) might as well have been
2: and finally rory
3: Yes, the amount of time I put into the headlines for I'm on the show myself. But Lacey, no messing around here. You just launched right into it, and I'm going to treat that with the very respect it deserves. This is the headline, everybody, verbatim. Russo has gone already. Thank fuck for that.
2: That has happened. Thank Jesus. We missed the bullet that was Russo. He is gone. There are reports that Russo tried to get his good buddy Disco Inferno to come in to be his number two. Thanks, fuck, that never fucking happened. What? Yes. So Russo is fucking gone. Less Just than a month. A and I I, I can breathe a, breathe a sigh of relief. But Del, after loving him up as much as you did last week. <laughs> How, how can we con- console you?
4: I'm glad to see that Stanford have been listening to the show and uh, taking on my, my glorious feedback about Vicious Vincent. I had prepared that a monologue, just just to give him his flimmers. But I'm still quite You're emotional. I'm still quite emotional, but at least
2: move on, move on. Rory, how much of a bullet have we dodged?
3: <laughs> <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Uh, so, hang on. What, 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 d- 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 Disco Inferno as his number two. Uh, yeah. just, it just didn't actually happen. No. But I don't so want to lead anybody in any particular or specific direction. But for the Rousseau Award in four months' time, if we were allowed hypotheticals, then Disco Inferno as number two, WWE creative I just want to put the idea out there.
2: I think that he asked for Good Glen to come in <laughs> to be his number two on the Friday. From the reports I read, he asked on the Friday. By the end of the weekend, Russo had gone. So oh, right. that was... Oh, right. <laughs> so whether it is was... It, it not he not asked for, for for Disco to be in there. And that was the the final nail on the coffin, or if it was just the uh, fuck offness of are uh, you having a fucking giraffe? Say it was the actual
3: reason, please.
2: Say it was the actual reason. I'm I'm hoping I couldn't find out any more in uh, in the sources that we use, but if it is that because he wanted Disco Glen.
4: I think we've missed a trick here. I mean, you're a historian less, Rory. Obviously, we are your your predigree on this show. We used to have Eddie Graham passing on the knowledge to Dusty. We used to have Eddie Gilbert passing it on to Polly. This could have been the transition to (laughs) boldly into this new century. Vicious Vincent passing it on to Glenn Gilberti. (laughs) <laughs> this should have been the second coming of the glory days
3: it just um, sounds
4: like it doesn't we've it. lost it
2: the swerve tasticness we could have had <laughs> so we're, we're saying pretty that pretty <laughs> so we're saying that we will go into what happened on the TV running up to the pay-per-view um, notably from the first raw fuck me boys this ladder match Taker and Jeff Hardy Who the fuck saw that coming?
4: Raw's got a history at least We used to get these matches show in the 90s With like the The matches with Razor, Mate and Kid With the upset Ironically enough Sean Waltman again With the match with With Bret Hart That went like You know I think Rob was still the hour At that point And it yeah. went like good 35-40 minutes Through advert breaks And all that kind of stuff And uh Again, just going back to what I was talking about with WCW and then WA, the the famous uh, Ric Flair making Sting. What was it? The the clash. Yeah. Clash. Making a made man, and similar to what I was even talking about a couple of years ago, where I think it was Bobby Bamba, and can't quite remember who it might even have been yourself, Rory. The mania match between um, Brett and Steve. When oh, but, but all- that was me. <laughs> when it was the amazing match and there was that wee after bit that are ah, compared to the Shawshank Redemption when you get Andy getting out but it's the bit we read at the end that makes the film, it's similar with this when you had the brilliant match but then with Jeff pulling his cell up in the ropes and shouting up to take her up the aisle with the microphone, I'm not dead yet, it's just that that wee bit of salt and pepper at the end just, just made it into something special and this is the this is the stuff that you want on TV when you've got. I mean, this is what we were talking about a year, eighteen months ago when this buyout happened with Turner in Atlanta, when we were going to have a start roster and we wanted to be creating for the next year, five year, ten year. You're using somebody like Taker that's got that gravitas there, and passing it on to somebody like a Jeffrey Hardy that's going to now hopefully be somebody that we can, that we can look to, to getting bumped up a card. And I just thought they did it. They did it absolutely masterfully. I thought.
2: Yeah, and you know, even you, Rory, as take, take a hater, had to. Uh, he's done it a couple of times this month, showing
3: some respect to newbies. Yeah, it's only because he's after something.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Just wait till we get to the pay per view. No, I can only call it as I see it and I speak as my speakers. I find, like, like my grandmother taught me to do, this was a fantastic. TV match. It was brilliantly put together. I liked the fact it had just a tiny bit of build because they announced the week beforehand that Jeff Hardy was going to get this title shot. So that was excellent too. And it wasn't just the David and Goliath type match, which a lot of people, even the people who've been positive about it have said, Jeff Hardy had a strategy to beat The Undertaker in this match. Okay. It was little more than belting him as hard as he could in the head with a chair, but whatever works, works, right? Yeah. And there were two or three occasions where... I almost allowed myself to believe that Jeff Hardy was going to win. I've got to say, as much as I love him, and I'm sure we'll be talking about him again in the end of year awards, because we always are, I had problems with Jim Ross's commentary during this, and maybe it's because we're just coming off the World Cup here, and John Motson, who's no, no Barry Davis, but then who is trying too hard with his commentary, with his breakfast with batter stew and cornflakes for Crespo, those are the vibes I got when Jart was saying, go on, Jeff, make yourself famous, climb your ass off. And it was a little much. He wasn't enhancing the pictures, as any great commentator should do. I was wrapped, the crowd were wrapped. I also like that it was something as simple as a choke slam that did for Jeff in the end. It wasn't an especially dramatic finish. And I think that's fine. Jeff came close enough to winning without being millimeters away because... I don't think that would have been believable, and I don't think The Undertaker would have allowed that. But this could be a star-making performance for Jeff. I'm not sure they've really capitalised capitalised on it this month. I mean, we'll talk about it as we get there. But I also loved, well, he's shouting after The Undertaker at the end, even though it did remind me of nothing so much as the half-eaten pepper army in the advert. Oi, come back and finish me off, you wimp! What's the matter? Too spicy for ya!
4: Can I just alienate the audience even further by saying how can we get cornflakes with Crespo but we kind of get slip-ups with semen or run you? with Ronaldinho?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking Trevor Brook in co-commentating, Del and Bure and John Watson, that's a team, I'd come round on that one. <laughs> Del on everything, we all know that.
4: Only I if I can do it a la Terry Wogan at the Eurovision and just turn up three years before and just get sozzled throughout the performance.
2: Exactly. Um, I do think that the this match may end up in the discussion at the end of the year.
3: I see a game's approach, yeah.
2: Because uh, you don't get these sort of level of matches on TV anymore for freebies. Um, going into the first Smackdown of the month, being on the 4th of July, we had to have some Americana. And uh, Hogan winning his first ever tag team title mat- uh, championship with... Edge of all people, coming out to real American, glorious scenes. And uh, we get a split decision in the main event title match between Taker and Kurt. Taker had the pin when Kurt had a triangle choke on, which basically means that we're getting a triple threat in the pay-per-view. Uh, going into the second week of TV, jeff beats regal to win the european championship so got himself a little bit of a boost coming out of the taker match from the week before um and then this was the one where nash fucked himself up so just to quickly jump on on that was giving jeff the european title the correct thing to do out of that taker match
3: maybe in the absolute short term then yes and at least he is winning something when it is still fresh in our minds. But so even by the end of the month, and you see what he could have won and didn't end up with at all, then I think the best thing we can say is that he's still got the Undertaker performance in the bank. Although I'm not absolutely certain that's going to be enough.
4: I think we were all hoping that he would win the speedboat, but unfortunately was just the... It was just a cafeteria. But um but no, I think coming off the back of that one, which as much as if it's done right, bragging rights can still be valid. Um I think coming off the back of that into a title match, regardless of the, the pedigree of the title or the championship itself and then obviously what happened with it later in the month, it does still show him in that light where See that that you seen last week that was competing with somebody that going in you didn't think he should be competing with. Now he's got a bit of shiny gold on his waist. That kind of shows him in the right light. But again, short term, yes. Long term, as ever, we shall see.
2: Yeah. Um, nothing
3: really happened on the la- that second week SmackDown. Just to say, than- you, you, be- you buried the lead on the previous Raw there, Lacey. Uh, Bradshaw and Trish versus Chris Nowinski and Jackie Gaider. More on that one in five months' time.
2: I, I, Carry on. I didn't, I didn't want to rethink about it, to be fair. Cheers for that. Oh, Mama. <laughs> uh, not much really happens on the second week of TV on SmackDown. Um, just we get the birth, of even more so, of the un Americans, um, the Canadian boys being naughty against America. Uh, the third week of Raw, the week before the pay-per-view, is where we see Vince come out and tell us that the NWO is dead. And here is where we get told that there's going to be new GMs running both Raw and SmackDown. And we get Eazy-E.
0: You know, you don't realise this, but it takes a real son of a bitch to be successful in this business. So from one son of a bitch to another, allow me to introduce you to the new general manager of Raw. His name is Eric Bischoff. I cannot believe this. I'm absolutely in shock. It's him. I can't even begin to tell our viewers, our new viewers, what this is going to be. Up on Eric Bischoff, and now they're hugging each other. Look at this! They're probably picking each other's pockets. night. There, there's our new boss. I got 25 years in the business, and it comes down to where Eric Bischoff is my new boss. I'm always lucky. By God, am I a lucky fat Oklahoma? Well, you know, as long as he's. Fair and firm. And uh, he's got full authority and, and Vince is giving him his unqualified support. Fair, firm and fair. If he comes over here, you're going to shake hands with him? you will. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I have seen a lot of things in this company transpire. I can't tell you. What, you what this means to me, first? Well, I'll tell you what it means, it means Mr. McMahon's ever time for a change. Back and back. For those of you who may not know me, My name is Eric Bischoff, and I used to run WCW. Not that watered-down version, by the way, that invaded this company, but the real deal. You see, when I ran WCW, I became famous. That's right. I was the only person ever able to take it right to Vince McMahon. That would be me. Remember those battles, and that's true. In fact, when Vince was out here a couple weeks ago talking about ruthless aggression, just who the hell do you think he was talking about? He's ruthless, folks. Very ruthless. That, of course, would be me. I personified ruthless aggression. You got that right. When Vince McMahon needed star power, I was ruthless. Hell, I signed everybody he had. Hulk Hogan. Randy Savage, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Roddy Piper. It went on and on and on. Hell, I was like a kid in a candy store. I signed Bobby the Brain Heating, a Mean Gene just, just for the like hell of it. Just because I could. Just for the hell of it. People's lives involved here. But what I really did is I took this little family business, this McMahon Monopoly, and I gave it one big swift kick in the crotch. And it was sweet. In fact, while Vince McMahon was on trial with the federal government, Uh he took his eye off the ball. And I rated his company dry. And for all of you people who say the only reason I was successful is because I had Ted Turner's money, I've got news for each and every one of you. I was successful because I was innovative. In fact, I was cutting edge. Remember remember back when Raw was taped every other week and Nitro was live? And I decided to go on the air two minutes before Raw and I gave away everything that happened on Raw so you people didn't have to watch it. Ooh, damn. Well, that was innovative, I suppose. That was ruthless. That was a little aggressive, but it worked. And how about Alundra Blaze? You remember her? This woman's world champion, I signed her away, and I said, hey, Alundra, bring your belt to Nitro. She didn't really want to, but I made her because she worked for me. And I had her go out on national television and throw it in the trash. <laughs> that's, that's innovative. That would kill me. It was a little ruthless, it was a little aggressive, but it worked. But you know what the important thing was? Is I forced Vince McMahon to change the way he did television, I did. Because in Nitro, I gave away a competitive main event every week with big stars. Hell, WCW Nitro changed the face of sports entertainment forever. And I single-handedly forced Vince McMahon to change the way he did business so he could keep up. With me. That was beautiful. Hey, remember when I created the NWO? (laughs) Cutting edge, ruthless, aggressive. Not some stale retread. Jerry, this is surreal. It's a legend in his own mouth. Nitro beat Raw 84 weeks in a row. 84 weeks in a row, and I came this close. Can you see it? This close to putting this company out of business forever. And he's proud of. Single-handed. Why would Vince- So naturally I was a little surprised when my phone rang. Not the other, end was none other than Vince McMahon. And he said, hey, Eric, what do you think about becoming the general manager of Raw? I gotta tell you, I was surprised, I was damn surprised. But then the more I thought about it, the more sense it made to me. Because you see, if there's one person, one person who can take this, struggling franchise, and turn it into a national media powerhouse. Well, that would be me. You could be right, JR. And it's gonna start right here on Raw. And we're gonna kick it off this Sunday at Vengeance. Because there was one thing that I really wanted to do when I was running WCW, never got the job done, one piece of talent that I could never sign away. Just one. And I'm absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced, that if I would've been able to sign him, that right now, today, Nitro would be on the air, and Vince McMahon, my new best friend, with all due respect, would be working for me. But that's okay, because it's not gonna be the NWO that signs Triple H, Uh -uh. Uh uh-uh. That would be me. What? And for all of the rest of you in the back, some of you I've had a chance to work with. Some of you I'm meeting for the very first time. One thing I'm sure you'll all agree on is that people generally like working for me. It's really not about the money, truly, it's not. People are drawn to winners. You people are drawn to winners. Mr. McMahon was drawn to a winner. Which is why he hired me. Let's face it, the WWE needs me. You people deserve me. And there's one thing I wanna promise each and every one of you people. I am here to put the E in WWE.
3: the
2: smackdown that week we find out who is the gm of smackdown and it is none other than the billion dollar princess stephanie mcmahon so obviously we've already spoken about easy steph becoming gm of smackdown
4: Del- the, face of, the face of approval of mr mcnamara I must give him his, his due here. Rory, you can lead this because I know you're just buzzing about the opportunities that's coming here. Something that we never thought we'd see, we've never seen before. We don't know how it's going to go. It's gonna <laughs> tell us how well you think this is going to go, Ross.
3: Oh, she's a face now. It's completely different. All I need to do is just quote the crowd reaction when she was announced on the Smackdown. Five seconds after she starts speaking, there's the slut chant, right You can dispute the qualities of that chant or you like it i will happily agree with you but it's something that I guess chanted at stephanie because it's one of her pavlovian heel reactions let's say that whether we like it or not and then 20 seconds later she's turning her ire on bischoff she's throwing a little bit of shade at people who are known to be heels and they're trying so so hard to get everybody to cheer for her And then we get the segment we get on the pay-per-view showing how successful that was. It's just the wrong foil completely for Bischoff at this point for everybody but Daddy Dearest. Even he knows that having Bischoff and Stephanie battle back and forth as to who has a superior brand which nobody else gives a fucking stuff about it makes no sense even in kayfabe that you would even pit Raw and Smackdown against each other let alone about we all know who is eventually going to be the winner in the grand scheme of things and it sure as hell ain't going to be us <laughs> no
4: I'm not just going to put a Mine over for this if you haven't a McMahon go over Rory right? come on but, um,
3: be still you know
2: my
4: just, of that
2: never would happen I
4: think they just they made a bit of a rod for the rain back here, been announcing Bischoff first on the Monday. You think, geez, who's it gonna be in the could they be getting Oh my god, they've already had Haman's there, is it gonna be Haman? And can we get Haman versus Bishop? there's so many things that they could have done with it, but they kinda of shot the load with it with the Bischoff situation. And then just getting Stephanie as much as it's a... More of a tailored audience on SmackDown with post-production and things, it still didn't take away for the the fact that it was just a damp squib after what we'd seen with with off I might be wrong in this. I mean, I, as much as I try to be positive, it's hard to disagree with Rory in his assessment. It's like, what are we going to what are we going to see that we haven't seen before? Even the the fact that she's on paper changing from an antagonist to a protagonist, it's not going to happen because the crowd are not going to let it happen. And it's just, I, I can't help but feel it's just going to end up in the same the same way as it did before, because as much as Russo came in and it did not work, they got rid of him, Stephanie comes in and it does not work, she's still going to be there. Yeah. She might be off air for a amount of days, probably, but it's I, I just kind of see how they're going to be able to get it into a workable angle, especially when, as Rory says, it's Smackdown versus Raw, which means something to one man. No one else can. You might get some folk running about them that will on and say, no, I'm all in on this. One, so this is going to be brilliant. We're going to make our own competition. We're going to be the best show on TV because we're not just competing with a, another wrestling promotion. We're competing with everybody. We're competing with Disney. We're competing with Fox. We're, no, you're not. It's made up it's the equivalent of bringing your own ball and playing against the wall that you're kitting it against the wall doesn't give a fuck
2: (laughs) so we will go into the pay-per-view and uh, rory give us the happenings
3: I always had you down as more of a Kirby man rather than Wally dell but there you go. So the results of Vengeance 2002. I'm going to skim over the fact that Stevie Richards lost in a dark match, because of course I am, and the proper results then. Uh, The Dudley boys, made up of Bubba Ray and Spike Dudley, defeated Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero in a tag team eliminations table match. Uh, Jamie Nogan defended the Cruiserweight Championship successfully against Billy Kidman. Uh, Jeff Hardy defeated William Regal to retain his aforementioned European Championship. John Cena beat Chris Jericho. Rob Van Dam versus Brock Lesnar ended in a DQ win for RVD in a match nominally for the IC title. Uh, Booker T beat Big Show in a no DQ match. In our semi-main, the Un-Americans beat Edge and Hollywood Hulk Hogan to win the WWE Tag Team Championship. And in our main event, The Rock defeated the Undertaker and Kurt Angle in a triple threat match for the WWE Undisputed Championship. In which The Rock pinned Kurt Angle.
2: <laughs> Del, what were your uh, initial thoughts before we run through this bad motherfucker?
4: I'll give you two of my initial thoughts prior to watching that downbeat. Obviously, we've got the full Austin situation, the full Brand versus Brand thing, I don't really care about. Some of the, the mid card matches were less than exciting. Um, upon watching it, though, really solid show. I thought um, Rory might be a wee bit different for me, just when who was the champion going into the main event. There's some of the stuffs sp- uh, kind of split through it that, that almost made it at times feel more like an extended TV than a pay-per-view. But overall, I thought it was actually a pretty impressive show.
2: Rory, it seems to have left us. I will tell you what I thought of it. And it was one of those, again, it's a B-level pay-per-view. I wasn't expecting fireworks, but what we did get was decent and much better than than you expect on these filler pay-per-views, especially before one of the big shows when you've got SummerSlam being next month. This very much was better than
3: I expected. Rory what were your initial thoughts going in? I was yammering away on mute there I'm definitely out of practice with this game I I was just talking on mute in 2002 who the hell's ever going to do that in the future anyway so Vengeance 2002 is the first event I've sat down with my pen and my critical head on since the Royal Rumble in 2002 and because of that I had high hopes for it it's the first thing i would watched really closely, so I suppose it all could have gone pear-shaped. Maybe it is just the flushes of fatherhood that are still very much with me after 10 weeks of it. We haven't really got to the serious flushes yet, if you know what I mean. So still the honeymoon period. And I went into this one with a bit of a PMA. And despite my issues with the ending, as I'm sure you couldn't expect, I came out with it the same as well. This was a high-quality B-level pay-per-view that set his sights high and managed to achieve most of his goals. So,
2: opening match, Dudleys versus Benoit Guerrero in a tables match. Benoit starts and beats the shit out of Spike. Clothesline, back suplex and a backbreaker and then a tag. Bubba and in and Eddie gets beat on and then we get a double team with Benoit. Benoit in with a lariat and a suplex. Eddie back in and again all over Bubba. Benoit in and hits a German. Quick tags with Eddie back in and they be, continue to be down on Bubba with more double-teaming. Eddie then gets a table from the outside but Spike hits a plancher to the outside onto Eddie. Outside, Benoit then beats the shit out of Spike. Good to see Spike still doing what Spike does best, takes a hide Bubba starts to come back but is double-teamed again. There's a table in the ring. Bubba goes up top and gets superplexed by both Guerrero and Benoit, but Spike could move the table. Benoit then batters Spike. Bubba makes a save from Spike going through a table. Bubba then takes down Chris with a backdrop and then one to Eddie, a side suplex to Chris, and a top rope slam to Eddie. Spike goes up top and hits a top rope stomp. Bubba goes full Dusty, and they hit What's Up. Bubba with a smoke and drop. Bubba then hits a senton, goes through the table, but Chris had moved. Eddie then beats Spike down and hits a tilt a head scissors. Spike with a Dudley dog to Eddie to the table on the outside, so Eddie is eliminated. Back in, Spike then gets fucking launched by Benoit in a press line for a table on the floor. Spike sent out. Very quickly, Bubba hits a Bubba bomb and puts Benoit through the table enjoyable uh, opener, some hard hitting stuff and Spike still taking a hiding as only Spike can. Del?
4: I've got a couple of issues with it but they're very mediocre issues. As you said yourself, decent enough opener gets the crowd going, which is something I always look for in the old match of pay-per-view. My, my biggest quandary well, two really. The pairing of Benoit and Guerrero for me takes away for two good matches that you could have and puts it into one. The pairing of Spike and Bubba, I think it's got the Dudley ring to it, has got the tables, it's going to get the crowd going. What my biggest issue with that match going on first was I thought it took away for the second, and if we had the second match on first, I don't think that would have took away for this going on next, because the crowd's still going to, going to pop for the tables, they're still going to go for Spike's kind of just general death defiance. But as an actual match itself, some of the stuff that Guerrero was doing, it's nice to see Benoit just batting action after the amount of time that he had out. Maybe this is them just breaking him in gently. So if he is struggling a bit physically, he's got Eddie there to fall back on. But on the match itself, you can't really fault it for where it was in the card. It's an open match tag that doesn't really have any kind of major uh influence and in where it's going to go or what it's going to do or what's going to come out here so for an opening match you can't really ask for much more
2: and spike
4: being spike yeah <laughs> rory
3: yeah dell's definitely right about the pairing of benoit and guerrero but coming into it now heading into august and summerslam where they seem to be pairing off I do think we can probably put this down as just them getting their eye back in. Yes, they're losing in the opening match of a pay-per-view tag to a team who are always going to have crowd support but aren't really going anywhere at this point. But I don't think that matters. There have been times in WWF past, and I say WWF advisedly, where we could really have worried about Benoit and Guerrero in this position. I think, at least at the moment, we're okay. although... I reserve the right, or you should reserve the rights to come down on me like a ton of bricks by the end of the year when they're still doing this by the December pay-per-view. But the match itself was really strong. I don't enjoy tables matches. They have about as much drama as first blood matches for me, so you can work that one out. But this was really smartly worked. They went for the big spots, as you said, there in your play-by-play, Lacey. They just let it all hang out, which really what they had to do. I don't really remember much in the way of psychology or story in this match, but there was just heavy stuff. And I think that's what the crowd wanted. The fact it went a fairly lengthy 15 minutes, it was the second longest match of the night. They had a lot of keeping up to do, and I think they managed to achieve it. I'm really enjoying this incarnation of the Dudleys, even though I say I'm not sure they're really going anywhere. I think Baba has a sort of... Could you call him white meat? Maybe sort of pork sandwich baby face? I think it does work. I mean, there are definitely a few... (laughs) K fabe slash, <laughs> slash continuity issues. I mean, the day after this, he was teaming up with Trish Stratus, for example, and was being the perfect gentleman with her. You know, how, how swiftly we forget and all of that. But Bubba and Spike is a combination that does have a bit of legs to it. And I have no doubt at all that one way or the other we're going to see Bubba and d back possibly before the end of the year. But keeping Spike in the mix, I'm always very happy to see that. And just being around Bubba lifts him by osmosis. Spike's never going to be more than an opening match guy in the WWE. His little one-week feud with Austin last year was as good as it's going to get for him. But it's nice to have him around. And I think the four of these guys knew their place on this card, but they made it count. It was good stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh, we see Easy backstage sniffing around Triple H, trying to get him to come to Raw, whereas Triple H tells us that he'll make his decision tonight. Uh, we then go into the Cruiserweight title match between Noble and Kidman. Uh, Collar and Albert are start, which goes all the way to the floor, and then we get a rolling pin exchange. Noble with some clubs, Kidman with a scissors and a hanging leg drop, misses the plancher, and Noble uses Nidia uh, to in the way for him to then hit an arm DDT on the floor and then posts him twice back in the ring with a normalised Suplex that gets a two into an armbar and posts him again uh, and then into a key lock Kidman managed to battle his way out and then hits a Hurricane Rana dropkick and a neckbreaker Noble then again with another arm DDT and then into another armbar goes for the power bomb that's turned into the face crusher Both of them go up top, but Noble manages to stop it and get out. But Kidman hits a top rope BK bomber. Tornado DDT, which is blocked. Kidman then misses the Shooting Star Press and Noble with with a roll-up that only gets a two. He then hits a beautiful underhook bomb and gets the win. I am loving me some Cruiserweights, especially with the fact that these bunch of Cruiserweights that we have is getting a different style it's not just the luchas and the high flips someone like noble and tajiri giving the the groundwork and the good chain wrestling side love me noble rory what are your thoughts on uh,
3: our resident redneck very very high indeed and you made a great point there Lacey. it's often said that wwe don't really know how to handle cruiserweight wrestling they often have them wrestle like the heavyweights as funny as a term as that is to use and i can see a lot of purists don't like that and it's viewpoint i can understand to a certain degree but i think certainly jamie noble here and a lot of billy Kidman as well they managed to mesh the two styles very well now be it by luck or by judgment it felt like a hard-hitting cruiserweight match that can placed on the pantheon if that's the right word of WWE style but they really did put their own spin on it as well and spin is very much the operative word I couldn't believe this match was only seven and a half minutes when I checked the times just now I thought it was well over 10 because so much stuff going on much like the first match despite only having half the length of it and I could go another couple of these two on pay-per-view I really could I'm not sure I'm desperately in love with the gimmick that Noble espouses. Nidia, in particular, there are areas there that could probably be considered problematic in the wrong light. But we're always going to have the in-ring action, as much as a certain somebody would like that to be secondary. If the likes of Jamie Noble and Billy Kidman clearly don't want it to be. And if it means more matches like this, where they're trying to keep themselves in the shop window, then this time we are the winners. Lovely stuff.
4: I'm actually going to disagree with Ori on one of the very few occasions. I fucking love the Nidia and Jamie Noble stuff. Absolutely love it. I don't know whether it just appeals to my equally working class nature that I would love to own a, a double wide someday. <laughs> um, I want to turn up with our Missy's and Daisy Duke shorts and get the brand new 4x4 car out in the yard as the... 19 Wayne's run about outside, each and their diapers and nowhere wearing any clothes and no shoes on anybody's feet. And that's the, the American dream, is my dream. And I'm here for it,
2: mullets uh, everywhere,
4: honestly. Well, some of us are only blessed that if we want to grow our hair, a mullet is the only choice, less. But, um, I absolutely love the stuff that they were doing on TV for it. But I mean, the fact that they worked it into the match was also good. And what Rory was saying, I know about the the style even your cell laser, but they, they always used to just pin these cruisers into the box, say, right, if you can do a, a 450 splash off the top, you're in or, you, See if that happens. What you end up with is Aguilar and Taka at WrestleMania, and nobody yeah. cares about it, if that's So you have. The fact that these two could actually work their style in their match and have a, have a cruiserweight contest, but not just in the cruiserweight box, it shows, what Rory was saying there, when it only goes seven minutes and you feel as if it did go 10, 12, 14, it just shows that there is actually a market for that. And even somebody like me that does just like the the telly stuff and the story stuff can actually get into a match as well. I just thought they did really good. With what they had, second match, spots, a death spot and a card, say, especially when you're the following the incarnation, the Dudleys and a table match. It's going to be hard to fill that. As I say, I would have probably preferred it personally in first because the Dudleys are always going to have the tables to fall back on for a second match spot. Yeah. I thought the I thought the match was really, really good. Um, and as the two of you say, I just thought the, the, the two of these individuals in it together worked their magic. I thought they did really, really well. I love the story stuff, but it didn't detract for the match. And the match also didn't detract for the story. I thought it was perfect for what they were given.
2: Yeah, so you, obviously we mentioned it last month when we were doing um, Noble and
4: Hurricane. Yeah. D- you know,
2: these boys, when given even the limited amount of time they're given, they make a match that dra- drags you into it and emotionally want to see what's going on. Backstage, we see Angle, and he is interrupted by Heyman and Brock. There's something that I want to have and see in my life. Let's have them two fucking go at it and have a proper wrestle. Yes, please. We then have our European title match between Hardy and Regal. Uh, Regal takes the lead with some cuts and forearms and hits a knee drop, but misses the second knee drop. Jeff, with a low drop kick and face buster, to gets to two. A slingshot to the floor, head scissors, and goes for the wall run, but misses. In the ring, hits the Whisper in the Wind in a mule kick. A split leg drop kick and goes for the swanton, but Reevil gets his knees up. Half Nelson plex. Jeff with an arm ringer into a roll-up and gets the win. This really, really suffered from a clash of styles to me. And I think after Jeff's impressive couple of performances this month, Easily one of his worst and was very, very sloppy
3: in this. Uh,
2: we'll go to you, Rory, first.
3: Yeah, not much to go on here, I'm afraid. And this is what I mean about Jeff Hardy. He winning the European title the week after the Undertaker match was a thing. But this match was also a thing, I'm afraid, in a very different manner. It was just we're not on the same page at all. Not really sure who to blame for this one I mean I'm sure bias would dictate it would come down on Jeff Hardy here but ever since Regal joined the WWF as was at the end of 2000 I remember Dan W and I having a discussion about it that for a great worker and he is Regal is he doesn't have a whole lot of great matches because his style is just so out there and Jeff Hardy God love him he is what he is and he is going to be. He's going to react with the same horror when confronted with William Regal in the ring that Bill Goldberg was four years ago. I'm not sure the results are quite that bad, but this match was a little bit shorter than that one, so it was mitigated by uh, in, in that regard. But there's not much to say about this one. I think Regal's going to be okay. I think I know where he's going to be ending up by probably the end of next month, but when you do the TV run-off and the pay-per-view, Lacey will see exactly where Jeff Hardy is. And July the 1st is already looking like a bit of a distant memory.
4: As Rory says, Lacey, I think it's one of the clashy styles where I like black pudding and I like ice cream, but I don't necessarily have them on the same plate. Um, it can work with some of the backstage stuff that we've been seeing with Jeff this month when he's talking about this living for the moment situation that he kind of seems to live his life by hopefully that doesn't pan out for the worst in the years and decades to come but um it, it just it's a roll of the dice really with these kind of matches when you've got him going up against taker and that worked you also have to put him against regal and obviously that didn't he? um it's similar to what you used to hear regal talk about when he first came to america but going into like, kind of right, you've got four minutes, you've got eight minutes when he's only ever worked the rounds before and that took him a wee while to get used to it. It's almost as if people are having that same problem towards Regal, where if you can't work that style, you're kind of snooker because that's what he does and he's exceptionally talented at doing it but when you get somebody in there like Jeff I mean, you used to hear about um, I think it was Scott Hall when they were still working enhancement matches what, seven, eight years ago now that he would literally have to pit Jeff in and out of holds. It might have been Waltman actually. It was one of the click, but they used to have to pit Jeff in and out of holds because he was kind of cardboard. As much as he's high flying and he's agile and all that kind of stuff, you would sometimes need to teach him how to do things. And when you're getting in there with Regal, who's probably the teacher of teachers in that kind of style, it just didn't did mess. It didn't mess. It was. It was sloppy, it was clunky, it was there's a lot of adjectives you could use. But um but nah no, for, for two people that I really like as individuals, as a parent, it just it, it didn't really work. I mean you could argue the time I expect, but at the same point, would you really want to see this go even longer? They yeah. maybe they maybe just uh, they maybe just cut their losses. Yeah. Uh,
2: backstage we see Hogan and Flair congratulating Hardy. As they talk about the new GMs and both of them not being very sure on either of them. Next match is Cena versus Jericho. Jericho starts swinging a chair outside but misses Cena. And then Cena hits him with a chair shot. A fez press, clothesline and a back elbow. A hip toss and a spine buster but gets two. Jericho hits a stun gun and starts with kicks. A back suplex, rope choke. The old boss man rope dive. Cena then gets a roll-up that gets a two. Jericho with a springing heel kick. Backdrop into a superplex. Tilt the world that gets a two. Jericho hits a second rope drop kick. And that gets a two. Cena with a belly-to-belly for a two. Jericho misses a drop kick. And then misses the lion's soul but does hit a reverse DDT, which gets a two. The Bulldog, and then finally hits the lion Soul, goes for the walls, but it's counted into a roll-up for a free. Like this, um, Cena looks all right for someone that hasn't been out of finishing school for very long, because um, he's just sort of come out of OVW. Jericho hitting a tantrum at the end was gold, it does it's probably the done in a while. Um but a couple of matches in a row finishing with roll ups. Yeah, what's that old thing they say? Make sure you don't copy
4: what has happened
2: in the match before. Dell
4: what we were talking about in the last match list with sloppiness and clunkiness. If anything this is the match that should really have had the the excuse for that. I mean Jericho is experienced as he is has always been quite, uh, I'm trying to think of a kind word to say about it, but untidy, maybe. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of stuff that's you know, a, wee bit, a wee bit flappy at times When, but he's really good at what he does. As you see yourself at this uh, Sina boy, he's no longer uh, developmental. He's thick, man. He's built like lumber. And I mean, if anything, you would expect that to be the, the match that's in a clunky, but, I thought that he's been really doing brilliant with some of the stuff he's been doing in Smackdown, and then when you see it in a match like this against, as they noted in the comments, the first ever undisputed champion, he didn't look out of place. Um, yeah. You've got to think, I mean, he's built like Vince made him in a warehouse, so you've got to think they've got big plans for him, especially with him being in the the solo run, and you've got the likes say, is it Bautista? And, yeah, uh, the Deacon. Hinge and um, Bob Orton's laddie, you see them getting put into tag matches, but seen as out there, sell, not quite on the Lesnar level where it's Raw, he's got Heyman, he's getting title matches, but just kind of underneath the radar and then going in against people like Jericho. And there's obviously been some of the stuff backstage with him as well. They've got plans for him, but they're not pushing him down your throat, which I think quite refreshing. But as a match, I thought it was really good. And as you say, some of the stuff, we let like the storyline aspect of it. We'll like the tantrum with Jericho and the cockiness. I think he's the win and then the, the plucky underdog pulls it out of the bag. I thought they did really, really good.
3: Rory? We? Yeah, with us being on the show, it's a bit of a ceasefire in the Jericho Wars on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Although well, it's going to be another battle next month because both Eric and Dan are back on. So, you know, to the bunker for that one. I'm very much of lukewarm water as i've said before re chris jericho he's just doing things at the moment and he does another thing a bit later on on this show as well and then he does another thing to close out the final roar of the month and they don't really know what to do with him at this point which was always going to be the case uh, he didn't show enough to the top brass during his three-month title run which wasn't his fault he did all he could but the die was cast very early on and he's spinning his wheels but he's putting the effort in the ring it must be said and i think he wants to make something of this john cena fellow who i've seen a few matches of now for the last couple of months and i have a theory but john cena was born in april 1977 which would have made him a couple of days old when the first import copies of uh, the punk fanzine Sideburns written by Tony Moon will become available in uh, West West Newbury, Massachusetts. And famously on the front cover of that issue, this is a chord, this is another, this is a third, now a former band. And that's what I get watching John Cena in the ring. This is a move, this is another, this is a third, now become a pro wrestler. And that's the vibe I'm getting from him at the moment. I absolutely take on board your positive comments, gents. Read him and There's absolutely something there. Vince McMahon's going to, well, we all (laughs) know. For Vince McMahon, there's definitely something there and it probably takes about four hours to disappear at the end of every night. But, it's all just the basics at the moment for Cena, isn't it? He's got them. The fundamentals are there. Working a mini-program with Jericho, I think, in five, six-minute matches on TV and pay-per-view. But that's okay for now. I would just let Cena do this sort of thing for the next, probably the remainder of the year, let me put him on this new program, Velocity, that's coming up, and just let him hone his craft. I mean, of the three who came up from OVW, who you mentioned earlier, uh, he is the one that Jim Corner, and I had the most positive to say about. He says this guy could be a multi-time WWE champion. I think we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit there, but I can see where it comes from. But let's let's just, Vince McMahon would say, let's cool our jets just a little bit. But the match was fine.
2: So we see Easy hanging outside Steph's room, um, and we see Trips go into Steph's locker room, followed by the lawyer. We then have our intercontinental title match for the evening, which sees Brock going against RVD. Brock, as always, as quickly as possible into a fireman's toss, clubbing blows. RVD with a few kicks and a drop toe hold into the post. RVD with then some leg kicks and a low drop kick. But Brock just basically picks him up and lobs him away, missing a clothesline on the floor. RVD then posts him outside, goes for the moonsault, but is caught into a massive fucking power slam on the floor. Back in the ring, some gut busters, clubs and a big belly to belly. RVD with a spin kick goes to the monkey flip, but Brock, again, just fucking lobs into the outside. Crashes him into the ring and then into the stairs, into the ring with a bear hug, corner stretch and into an abdominal stretch. RVD manages to get out of that when hits a shoulder blocks, a sidekick, a slingshot sling leg drop and a, another top rope sidekick to hit rolling thunder, gets a two. Goes for the 5-star, but is blocked and counted into an F5, which RVD then manages to counter into a DDT. <clears throat> Goes up again and hits the 5-star, but Heyman pulls out the ref, which is where we get our DQ. RVD then kicks Paul. Mini Nature then hits Paul as well. Brock makes the save, but RVD onto the top rope with a cannonball onto the floor. Into the ring, RVD goes for the Van Daminator or the Van Terminator, even. But Paul grabs the leg so Brock can get up, slams the chair into RVD, and then hits an F5 onto the chair. A fun match. Um, RVD had a few hope spots, but fuck me, they're building Brock to be an unbeatable beast. Rory, I know you've been watching along, but you haven't had anything to say about Brock because you weren't here from when he's been here. What do you think of uh, Vince's Aryan wet dream?
3: (laughs) I think we might want to add an allegedly in there somewhere. Maybe only after one of the words, though. I think this guy is the present, not the future, the present. And I think in just 31 days time, we'll be talking about Brock Lesnar, undisputed WWE champion. And rightly fucking so. The rocket has been strapped, or the rockets have been strapped to everywhere they can be strapped on this fellow. And I've gone back and watched a few of the roars and smackdowns and the early pay-per-views from straight after WrestleMania. And you can see it. With Cena, it's potential. With Lesnar, it's fully realized. This man has got the fucking lot. He can move he can fight in the strictest sense. He's got a believable move set. He can do these things to anybody. Heyman is the perfect guy for him to GM up and cut the promos. Uh, it's all there. He is fully formed in just three or four months. I, I, I'm, I'm almost speechless by what, 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 what I just progress because the there's no interregnum period. Any time where they don't put the belt on him, is, is too long and I said that to somebody if you listen to the seven years I've been doing the show I'm all about the slow build and just letting it play out and see where it goes as my old buddy Scott Keith would say but with Lesnar it's there and every day he isn't the champion is a day wasted which so made this his, he here's one for you because obviously
2: we all saw how Kurt fucking just ducked a water with him in his first year Brock's, other than, obviously, Brock hasn't been given every belt on the way to it, but as we all suspect, Brock will be the champion within six months of being on the show. Yep. Is Brock a better protege than Angle was?
3: It depends how you want to look at it. I think, I think from a pure wrestler perspective, yeah, there's that word. It might well end up being Brock. No, I'm going to use the word again, so I'm not going to use the word wrestler. I'm going to use that word again. Fighter. I think that's Brock. I think he's the best fighter they've had for many, many a year, to the point where I'm blanking on another example. Angle arrived fully formed with the wrestling and the entertainment side of things. You know, I can't really imagine... Brock Lesnar wearing an outsized cowboy hat or singing Jimmy Crackcorn to Steve Austin. Maybe I'll end up being surprised on that one somewhat down the line, but I think that's Angles Preserve. But for the in ring stuff and the presentation that he himself brings, Lesnar is the fucking man. He absolutely is. And the match was great. Automatically, I've, I've loved this whole mini feud, by the way, with Lesnar and RVD puts RBD if not quite on Lesnar's level then at least plants to see for something a bit down the line. Uh- I did even more so than you, Lacey. I had my issues with some of RBD's bookings towards the end the sh- yeah, the end of last year. Here he came as close as he realistically can to being Brock Lesnar's equal. And much like Jeff Hardy in his Undertaker match, had a strategy to legitimately and realistically beat him. And on another day, he could have done it. Brock loses nothing because he's got all the bells and whistles in the accoutrements to make sure he can come out on the winning side. Oh, fuck the DQ, you know what I mean. But... We can use this, much like we might. The Jeff Hardy Undertaker thing, I'm not sure it's going to happen. Here, RVD, B-level pay-per-view against Brock, narrow losing effort. That's going to put him where, really, RVD should have been nine, 12 months ago. But really, I'm just marking time because they're doing it with Brock, and we're just waiting for whatever the first pay-per-view show will be where we talk about Brock Lesnar, undisputed WWE champion. And in every sense of the phrase... It cannot come quickly enough.
4: At the risk of breaking character, there is so many angles that I could jump off here. <laughs> if you part of the pun. I'm going to try and rein it in and not be verbose for the first time in my life with this show. But talking about what Rory was saying, the, the, the one word that jumped out was fighter. And the two instant um, examples that come to me, certainly from a New York point of view is Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn. Ken Shamrock kind of got that, yeah. Liking for personalities, that I word, I suppose, with, with Kenny. But certainly looking at Dan Severn, there was nothing there. He was good in ring, otherwise, nothing. Brilliant team music, but apart from that, there was no personality, there was no character. From a pro wrestling point of view, he's kind of untouchable because you can't really put him into stories or angles or anything like that. Kenny got a bit of a, a different swing at again pardon the pun going back to rock with the chair but he kind of got that and I think that's kind of similar to, Char, um, to Lesnar and Angle where Angle's happy to put his cell into these character spots with a tiny cowboy hat and the badges and we don't need no stinking badges it was his part of an ill-fated run with Steve and that kind of try to get him out of the, the golden the golden boy persona with the, the biggest man in the company and try to run him as a, as a baddie and it didn't really work but looking at Bro, as Rory says, he, he's he's ready made. No, I mean, he's like a he, he's like something just out a factory, not to focus again too much in the the A one. But um, he has just out a factory that is if you just made him, and I don't know whether I would be quite as enthusiastic with Rory as putting the. They built one of them. next month. I'd, I I can't really see an alternative the way that they've been building him up. But I mean, talk me that build that they've done him in the last kind of really weeks, but the last couple of months. Lest we forget, he was getting he was getting a, a win over Stone Cold, as well in the middle mm-hmm. of that's that obviously transpired that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's something else that would just have pushed him this wee bit quicker again and got him a a massive scalp, arguably the biggest scalp you could get on the way to this run to SummerSlam. I think they've actually booked it wonderfully as well with getting that in early in June with the King of the Ring. This is going to be your man come August. Win, lose, or draw. This is going to be the guy that's headlining probably your second biggest show of the year. And he's had that to build up on. With the like, say the comparison with Angle, as Rory was saying, I think Brock is arguably maybe even got the one up on him with an age point of view because his angle was coming in just a much older, but a little bit older. He's a little bit wiser, but at the same point with the experience and the knowledge that Brock's maybe lacking that Cut had, he's got Paul there. Cut was flying solo, which could make the argument that obviously, well, Cut's better then because he had to do it himself. I think it just helps Brock, though, that he's got that that kind of shine dare I say Paul Heyman is a shining light, but a shining light behind him that can show him the pitfalls. I mean I think I heard the story at the time it was Taz that had got Paul Lee to have a word with him and that's how this all that's all came about. But I think it could really be uh could really be a blessing for him when he's no go at the at least at the minute he's no get the characteristics of cut when he's able to go out there and be funny and be personable and things like that. Paul Heyman I think's tailor-made for somebody like Brock to just guide him in the right path and with what you see in the last couple of months you can't fault it.
2: Yeah it is one of those of with Brock obviously I'm not I don't know if he's massively uncomfortable being on the mic but the thing is when you've got Heyman there you don't need to talk on the mic you as we said last month you know he is very much like Paul Bearer was to Undertaker in the old days, where Taker just puts that that salt and pepper on the end of the steak. Yeah. But Heyman is your, and your Paul Bearer is your steak.
4: That's but, the exact example I was going to use because Paul uh, Paul Bearer would come out and talk for two or three minutes and all you get is a rest piece at the end. We've seen it a couple of times with Brock last month where he'll just spit a couple of things at the end and it works masterfully.
3: Exactly. Um, just just one more quick thing on Brock as well that he doesn't scream Vince McMahon pet project. You know, he's not being shoved down our throats. The reason he's going to be main eventing SummerSlam, and I think should win the WWE title there, is because he's beaten every fucker in the last four months, and he deserves to be there. it's a very, very different thing to say, I don't know, the diesel push in 94-95, God forbid. A very, very, very different thing.
2: Yeah. Um, so we see Eze is still outside Steph's uh, locker room, and Steph then finally comes out and says, yes, Triple H signed papers, divorce papers. We then have Booker T versus The Big Show. Booker with some kicks. Cho with a slam and clubs and a big beal. More clubs and a clothesline to the floor. Booker with a chair, but it is blocked, and then show posts him. Show then posts himself. Booker takes over with some chokes with the mic cable and a monitor to the face. Booker hits a massive axe kick through the Spanish announce table, the English announce table. Back in, Booker with some boots, a low blow, another axe kick and pulls out the Houston hangover to get the win. Other than seeing the houston slash harlem hangover for the first time in many a year fuck me this was boring as fuck um if these two can stop being in a ring together now and never do it again i can die happy del
4: i don't know whether it was the hangover they brought RVD match, I think it's kind of similar to what I was worried Rory was going to say at the start of this, but it's what I went in with high expectations for that's your first fucking mistake. But this, I went in with expectations so (laughs) low, it couldn't have possibly under-delivered. For me, I wasn't expecting much going in, I wasn't disappointed, but for what they've done, the time that they go, that I mean, everybody knows Paul White is just he's just not for me um I or never, well i don't know whether everybody's quite as bad as me when but I, i'm just not a fan of the man at all i think as an attraction he's got an appeal just for for mass point of view but as soon as he as soon as he goes on a microphone as soon as he steps in a ring I, it's just not for me booker i've never quite Go. I don't know whether it's just because I was never really huge, I was always made WWF on this show than I was WCW, I did dip my, water, my, dip my feet in the water a couple of times but I never really got the height with Booker T, he is good, he, is he as good as what some people would have you believe that it followed feel for like the, the stuff with Stevie Ray, I mean even when he was still in chains, God if we can make that the best part of 10 years ago with, with his brother I, I've never really quite got it but I think for what for the position that he's been put in, I think he does a lot with what he's given. The, the stuff with, when you're getting put in the ring with a giant, no, it's going to be a hard sell for me. But the match itself, I thought, was fine. Um, As you say, it was nice to see the Harlem hangover, or the Houston hangover, as they're now calling it. But, um, but no, for going in, for what they were meant to be there for, it's another death spot in, the, in between the matches. Well, not quite semi-main, but... It's kind of in that spot where nobody's really buying a ticket to see it. So for that aspect alone, it can't really be too bad. Would I prefer it wasn't on? Would I prefer if it was even fucking Stephen Richards getting bumped up and this getting put on? Of course, but with the names that's there, you can't really have Big Show going out in, in a dark match because look at the size of him, you need him on the card. But as I say, my expectations were that low, I couldn't really under deliver on it.
3: Yeah, my, my ears pricked up at the mention of Stevie Richards there and yes, yes, not just my ears ho, 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 ho but he should have turned the camera off for of that one Yeah, this match, so I normally watch the pay-per-views in the very chair I and Saturn now, TV over there there's the TV, here's the chair but it's good for a podcast, isn't it? There's the TV there's the chair, there's the baby changing table that is where I watch the Booker T big show match from
4: that's all, that's
3: all you're getting out of me on that one. Was the smell
4: of shit coming from your young one or coming from
3: your <laughs> <Was, laughs> yeah, windows Yeah, uh, the windows haven't been closed since. Let's say that. <laughs> Move on.
2: So we have Trips coming out to tell us where he is going. Very quickly, Easy he comes out to butter him up and says that he can get him all these endorsements. Steph comes out to say that she knows Hunt, Tripp's best. Stephanie and Easy bicker with each other. Tripp says that Easy is a prick, and Steph's a bitch. And then we hear the Heartbreak Kid's wonderful tones as he comes out and says that he should consider friendship and fun and join him to make Easy's life hell. Trips goes with HBK to go on to Raw. And uh, as easy is gloating, Steph slaps him. Why are we getting a 20-minute Raw fucking start on a pay-per-view?
4: My biggest quandary with us was they missed the trick of saying, do you want to go with fun and friendship, or do you want to go with Stephanie? Do you want to go with the double Fs, or do you want to go with the double Ds? And then I put that line in, and that was my biggest quandary with us. But, um, I, again, I, I make no apologies for it. I come for the, in the lines of Jim Ross, I come for the sizzle rather than the steak. I don't apologise for that. I like this. I thought it actually broke up the show. The issue is, though, when you're putting in matches like Paul White and Booker T, and then following it up with this, yeah. you're this for the best part of half an hour, if no longer, maybe three quarters an hour, and you wouldn't have missed anything because they're clearly going to be talking about this on Monday night. They're clearly going to be not showing the big show Booker T match. But as a story, I kind of like when they break up the pay-per-views about this. It's kind of like the anti-version of WrestleMania 4, where it's just match, 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 match. The next thing you know, you're just falling asleep in the second hour. I kind of like this break-up where they have the things. But um, it was a bit long, you know what I mean? I like Hunter... I like Sean, I like Stephanie, Bischoff's a brand new toy and this kind of playpen. But for the, for the length of time that it got combined with the backstage stuff earlier on with the, the swear, they always signed the contract. No, I signed the divorce papers and then am I going to go to divorce? Smackdown, as Rory says, are only one man that cares. It just went a bit long. But first what it done, it, it progressed the story. It's kind of like the old... um. WCW way of putting pay-per-views where it doesn't take the TV to lead to the big show. It takes the big show and make, gives you a hook for the TV. I understand the logic behind it, but time management, <laughs> having for Fend, a Hunter Helmsley segment could be thrown to time management issues. <laughs> but I think it just went a little, a little long, somewhat like Hunter's nose, just a little bit long.
3: Rory, we know yeah, how just,
2: much you love these things, sort
3: of things. Oh, uh, very much so, yes. And whenever Triple H isn't on screen, everybody should be saying, where's Triple H? <laughs> That's my problem with the man. Everybody else, right, this whole Raw and SmackDown thing, they're pretty much jumping ship willy-nilly. right? Triple H, there's a bidding war over him to the point where 20 minutes of pay-per-view time are given up. Don't fuck, even if you did care about this Raw SmackDown shite, right, and nobody does, why would that bother a fucking pay-per-view audience everybody's sodding on there anyway just just, because the segment itself wasn't that bad and it did lay down a rather important storyline point for what we saw of course it's rather important as triple h but you did need this to get to the story on monday my big issue is that it's a triple h story that they had to build to this is this is what triple h the guy can still do it in the ring I think probably when we get to the end of the year, we might have a few a few debates, <laughs> I wonder what side I'll be on, about is in-ring work post-injury, but it is still there. It's the presentation of the man that I have the biggest problem with. But, you know, look who is providing that presentation and I am fighting the ultimate losing battle here.
4: it we've already had to sit him through 20 minutes at <laughs> Hunter Helmsley. He's got
2: Undertaker in the main event. We're going to need some uh, holiday request forums here. <laughs> <laughs> this is where he goes. I want more
3: uh, paternity leave. Six months was nowhere near enough, I tell you. I thought I timed it right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: 20 minute
3: Triple H segment. 20 minute Undertaker main event match. Yeah, I know. It's back to the changing table, I think.
2: So we have our tag team title match, which sees Christian and Storm, the Un-Americans, going against Hogan and Edge. Hogan and Christian stop, and Hogan does Hogan power moves and lobs Christian straight out of the ring. Uh, Storm in with a cheap shop, and they hit a double suplex. Hulk then hits a double clothesline, at, clothesline and the double noggin knocker, which I'm always a fan of. We see the axe bomber going full fucking Japan Hogan on us. Axe and, and then uh, some punches to Storm. Edging with a one man flapjack. Clothesline and Storm hits a leg lariat. Christian in with some boots and a backbreaker that gets a two, a neckbreaker for a two, but misses the second rope elbow drop. Edge with an insiguri in the edge of Matic. Hogan in with punches and a big boot to Storm. Christian hits a reverse DDT. Hulk then hulks up. Big boot, leg drop to Christian, gets a two. Poke to yeah. the eyes and Storm with a super kick to the outside. Storm in and elbows, quick tags and double teams, a double close line and both Storm and Hulk are down. Edge in with the proverbial hot tag and is on fire with backdrops and uh, a head drop too. Spear but hits the ref, hits the execution. but as the ref is still down. Test in, beats down Hogan on the outside and a massive big boot to edge that only gets a two. Rikishi comes out, beats down Test. Edge with a spear. Jericho in with a belt to the face so Storm can get the pin. Decent tag match. Hogan gets Hogan shit in. And the Un Americans cheat to win as any good heel should.
4: Can't complain. So just just to clarify, it's the end of July. We've just seen a man well past his prime with bleach blonde hair in a tag match. Right, I'm just keeping score here. But it, it did actually deliver this one. On you go, Ross.
3: <laughs> I see what you did there. Lacey, what's happening with Hogan? Because I really care, obviously, but he wasn't on TV again as much as I can remember. And he doesn't appear to be in any SummerSlam plans. Have you seen anything in the...
2: The, In the, the news that Hogan's
3: done a Hogan after having to lose a match.
2: The original plan pre-Nash being Nash was that we were going to get Hogan and McMahon at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's been changed. Um, what Hogan's going to do, I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, he's he's not as uh, prominent As he was, I don't know whether you know he's he's taking some time off to go film Mr. Nanny Two or Suburban Commando Two. Those films that we really want, not the Scorpion King, Muppet Um, in Space 2, That's the one we really want. Come on, (laughs) Thunder Thunder and
3: Paradise
2: Paradise (laughs) Three. But yeah, you know it is quite novel to see this Hogan run so far, where. He put over the rock. Very true. pushed up Edge
4: and put over the Un-Americans. The backstage stuff, he's talking up Jeff Hardy, saying you're the future, and he's not actually doing it with his tongue in his cheek. He actually seems as if he's turned a cornerless.
3: Yeah. I think he knows what he's doing. out to Angle last month. Yeah, it's all going to be cashed in, isn't it?
4: There's going to be something, but... uh, Sorry, my phone's ringing. I've got Brutus Beefcake on the phone. He <laughs> says Jimmy Hart's available. <laughs> well, only only, only five years. people are anyway. anyway. <laughs>
3: yeah. Hogan McMahon. Oh, you talk about a bullet dodged. Oh, God. Did Hogan want his win back? Yeah, I Yeah, Okay, so, but the match we got, it was all right. It really was okay. The right people and you know who they were, held this one together, and Hogan did the Hogan stuff that everybody wanted to see, it says here. I'm glad the americans won. I think they probably needed to. I'm enjoying their shtick so far. I'm not going to give any reasons as to possibly why. No, may- maybe, maybe I was with Lance Storm Then he said that when he said that America turned they're back on Britain in 1776. I can't possibly confirm. Poor old Lord North. <laughs> we're all friends on this show. Of course we are. But they really have gone for it. I've got to say. And I think some of the comparisons, and I can understand why people are saying this, with the Hart Foundation thing from five years ago, I think they're wide of the mark. You know, the whole Hart Foundation thing in Brett versus America because, was because Brett Hart legitimately just did not understand where the American fans were coming from. It, in 1997 and they parlayed that into storylines yes he had some things like you know i'd stick the hose right here in pittsburgh pennsylvania shaped like a toilet bowl all of that but with the un-americans it's real a real screed of enmity now this promo they did shortly after this where the likes of Elvis Presley and John Wayne were laid to waste. So, you know, public enemy approve, not that public enemy, the good public enemy, by the way, just for the avoidance of doubt. And they are getting some serious fucking heat. No, they're carrying the American flag upside down. You know, what would Betsy Ross think about that? And I wonder where this is going to end, to be honest. It's, this is serious fucking stuff. Um, is any time a good time is any time a bad time. But for me, just, 10 months after 9-11 to do this sort of thing where it must be said Lance Storm and Christian and even Blessing Test are putting their all into it doing this sort of angle and we're not even a year removed it's a choice I'll give them that, it's a choice
2: Well you know at least with this it is less than what you would have normally expected Vince to do um, you know, I would have imagined, you know, some co- cultural appropriation of someone who may be Italian or something as a Saudi terrorist or Iraqi sympathiser or something like that. You know what? Imagine like,
1: <laughs> you know,
2: we've seen it before. But yeah, it it is a little bit on the nose for where we are in the global. Aspect and especially with you know America, fuck yeah, that we have. But Del, what were your thoughts on the, the match as a whole?
4: The match is honestly delivered for me. Again, you go into these, I don't know whether it's just because I'm maybe just getting a bit similar to Rory now. For the Hunter Helmsley segment, went that long, I was actually crying out for somebody like a Hulk Hogan, and then even to ask what, he's, what his plans are going forward, that's as big a testament against Triple H as you can hear. You're actually inquiring over Hulk's availability in the coming. I just,
3: match. I just can't fucking help myself. But, <laughs> um,
4: but no, I thought the match was actually. It just shows that you can still put these people in matches, and they have a place. Whether it's uh, Ric Flair going against the the World Champion, whether it's Hogan in a tag match and having a title in 2002 that we're now in, when you had a lot of people that were saying in 1992. He was past his best. It just shows you can use these people in the right positions. They still work. And if it gives a bit of credence to Edge, all the better. Whether it's building long-term, obviously Edge is going up against the Un-Americans. Is he going to turn and join the Un-Americans? There's a lot of wrinkles in the story that could pan out. I mean, obviously they've got bigger plans, I reckon, for Edge, and I don't think they would cross that that barrier. But it gives you an opportunity if it does start to dwindle, the Un-American thing. That's something that you've got in the back burner that could foreseeably work if you needed it, because we don't really want it to turn into another right to censor when it just kind of falls off a cliff because they beat the PTC, right? We don't need the RTC anymore. But as a match, I thought it was really good. And it's nice to see somebody like Lance Storm, when we spoke earlier on about Brock's questionable personality, he's in the right place and he's actually leading interviews and coming across believable albeit as an antagonist. Could we really have said that about Lance Storm a couple of years ago, where he's going to be in a position where he's getting headline spots from an interview point of view, leading programmes, leading angles, leading storylines, and doing it believably, and also bringing other people with him. Test is obviously the odd man out of the three when it comes to like a, an in-ring work rate point of view, which you wouldn't be surprised about, but as we've seen with him and Lesnar as well, a couple of uh, a couple of months ago or last month should I say, um he's got he's got a about him. He was maybe putting a bit too deep with the Stephanie stuff and it was a bit early for that and it didn't really work. But they seem to have found what we always talked about later when we done ECW, it was the island the misfit toys. These three are never gonna be selling out their figures in Walmart. Yeah. But as a group they work together and with the antagonist in Mr. America across the ring for them. I thought it really
2: worked, even from an in-ring point of view. Yeah, it's is it with these? Obviously, it does give me f- a few throwbacks to Storm at that back end of WCW when he had all the belts and changed them all to Canadian belts. Um, so if we can get the uh, Saskatchewan title back and things like that, I will be quite happy. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see what they do with it. I have a feeling that we may get, especially after what happens on TV later in the month, um, that Booger Red may be having a face turn to be the American badass again, to fight for America's valor. Um, <laughs> if you could only see Rory's face right now, <laughs> it, is, it is gold. But yeah, so it's, it's like, other than. Your obvious ones—you got Hogan, you got Angle as major Americana. Who who is there that you put these guys against for them to for the blow off? Because something like this—it's got to have a big blow off to it. Survivor
4: Series, less it's going to happen. (laughs) Lance Storm, the sole survivor.
2: Canada, America, it happens again. Rory, any last thoughts before we go into the main event?
4: He's just excited to talk about the Undertaker less.
3: <laughs> yeah, come on, Les. Let's get to it, shall we? Come on, don't, 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 don't leave me hanging on this. I, people want to hear my thoughts on. You, know, you saw, you, you saw my face on the Undertaker turning face. <laughs> so. <laughs> Let's talk about him as a heel while we still can, shall we? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we go into the main event of the evening, which is Rock versus Angle versus Taker. Angle gets beat down by both Rock and Taker to start. Rock clotheslines him over the top rope. Taker, with punches to Rock, hits the flying clothesline. Rock then with the clothesline to Taker and puts him to the floor. Angle in and Rock punches Angle. Angle hits German and beats down the Rock. We have some massive chops, and fuck me, they made some noise. And then Rock put some of his own. Angle, with two belly-to-bellies, Rock hits the DDT for a two. Then they go to the floor, and they brawl for a bit outside. Taker, then, is back involved as well. Taker and Rock back into the ring. Taker beats down the Rock, hits a side slam, that gets a two. The Rock hits a choke slam, that gets a two. But Angle makes the save, and puts the boots to Rock. Rock with a clothesline and puts on the ankle lock. Ankle then out of that and uh, hits a rock bottom of his own for a two. Taker in with a leg drop to break that count. Taker then beats on Kurt and hits an ankle slam of his own. That only getting a two because of Rock breaking the pin up. Rock with a clothesline to Taker and a spine buster and hits the people's elbow. Angle slam to rock onto the table. Kurt beats down Taker until Taker takes over with some punches. Kurt then gets posted. All of them all back outside with Taker beating on Kurt. Rock with a spit punch to Taker. Taker, Rock gets slammed onto the table and Taker hits a leg drop, apron, apron leg drop even, to Kurt. Back in and Taker batters Kurt, hits old school. Rock in and takes over with Taker with punches. Taker with a big DDT that gets a two. Angle gets pinballed between both punches. Taker goes for a choke slam, but Rocklow blows him. Kurt then with a chair shot to Taker. Angle slam to Rock. Goes to pin on both, but only gets twos. Rock puts on the sharpshooter to Kurt. Taker makes the save. Last ride to the Rock, but only gets a two. Angle puts on the ankle lock on Taker. Last ride, but Kurt turns it into the triangle choke. And, uh, Rock breaks it up and gets put into the angle lock. Taker with a choke slam to Kurt, a rock bottom to Taker that gets a two. Angle with a roll up for a two, angle slam to Taker, rock bottom to Kurt, end of the win to your new champ, The Rock. I am not a massive fan of triple threat matches, but fuck me, they did this one right. The exchanging of each other's big moves I thought was fucking genius something we haven't seen in any other triple threat match. The dramatic saves, this was a glorious 20 minutes of action. And even though it had a few of the little cliche moments of where one of them is out of the ring, down, they weren't for very long. Um, So, yeah, I fucking enjoyed this. Del, I will let you go first. So, you know, we can then be left with the replundant joy of Rory.
4: Not to take away from your magnificent hosting, Lacey, but I think a we'll lot for the uh, the classic shit sandwich. You <laughs> thought that was quite good. I'm dying to hear Rory's thoughts on it, and then I'll try and salvage a bit of positivity at the end. Mr McNamara, the floor is yours.
3: I've only really got good things to say. I'm sorry to let you down, listeners. That I've only got positive things to say about this match. I thought it was fantastic. A superb triple threat match, much like Lacey. Far from my favourite choice of match. I... I It's too much of a kayfabe buster for me. And it's far too much of an easy out. (laughs) There you go. Just a little dropping a little seat myself. Trust me, I'll come back to that one in a couple of minutes. But this was so intelligently worked from all three guys. I don't think, other than the finisher stealing that you mentioned there, Chris, there were any real outstanding moments necessarily in this match. But it was just three top guys who, like it or not, know what they're doing. They know how to main event pay-per-views. They've done it often enough. They know how to take the crowd up. They know how to bring the crowd down. They know when to time their moments. And there was nothing especially ornate in this match. Nothing, as I say, out of the ordinary. They really just did their stuff to each other. But because it was The Rock and Kurt Angle and The Undertaker doing that stuff i've said stuff far too many times today by the way i'm gonna say it one more time doing their stuff to try to become the wwe champion i was relatively kind on it there were a couple of hairy moments i did laugh at the point at the very start of the match where undertaker and the rock were looking at each other and angle was waving to try to get their attention but it was a bit gallows humour. truer words never spoken in jest in that sort of thing, you know, you get it? Yeah. Which is a shame, because Angle was really the glue that held this much together. A lot of the Rock and She Undertaker did everything they had to do, no question. And then we jump to the finish. Will you just take a fucking job, man? It was right there. You're turning face anyway, you're gonna pull it out of the fire for America, you can have The Rock pin you to drop the WWE title. Not only did he not do that, he came within an ace of making the save because of course he freaking did. Now, I don't want this to become a repeat of the fabled, the fabled fully loaded 2000 on Tanti Undertaker rant on this one. I'm doing my best to rein myself in. I feel like I've said those words really Undertaker a lot over the last two years as well. But that really, really rankled me because of course it did. Because I enjoyed the match so much, I think I allowed myself to think that it wasn't going to happen. But reality, as it so often does, while watching this stuff. (laughs) I agree.
4: I agree on pretty much every point. But I
3: must say, a really excellent match. I don't like triple threat matches at all. I have not come round on them. But a few more like this might just start to change my mind. A worthy main event. I'll happily
4: say that. It could almost turn you in this, for a triple threat match. I'm not a big fan of myself as you two at right point. You do because it is usually two in the ring, another one lying down on the floor at the apron just ready to jump in and do his, his planned out spot. It just busts the full world wide open. But they did that brilliantly. The, the finisher swap was really good, as you said, unless you don't see it that often. It's not a well that you can go back to a lot because it is something that works as a one-off, doesn't really work otherwise, but um, but no, brilliant, brilliant main event. I've got the same issue with Rory in the finish, whether it's, he's going to be a good guy, I mean, I, you can see the logic, of, well, if we're going to make him a good guy, we can't really have him losing, but surely that's the whole point, a yeah, good guy is they revenge, the their valiant loss when they just came up short, but they keep fighting because they're plucky, it might well be that that's a direction for the office. It may not be Mr. Calloway. It may well be Mr. Calloway, as, came back a couple of years ago, And right about this time, we did see that pay-per-view. Yeah. But, um, but no, I thought as a, as a main event, it really delivered which you want, to, what you want to see. We now know who's going to be facing Brock, which is one story. We've got Angle, as much as it's laughable at the start with the let me into the big boys club, he is in it. Um, he just goes about it a different way I thought the taker stuff during the month was actually working quite well when you see him with Jeff Hardy but then he's in a main event then he's a champion then he's not a champion there's stories that to be told then he's got the the possible American side of it but as a main event I thought it was exceptional Um, I don't like the match type if you think about it we could well have a a Helmsley match in the show we could have an Austin match in the show we could have an NWO match and we never get any of this but it's still delivered as a pay-per-view. I thought as a main event, though it, it really over-delivered over than over what I was expecting. And as for a B show, to have a, a main event like this leading into an A show, I can't really fault it.
3: And Rock but, was the right winner, let's say that. Yeah. Got no problem at all with him taking the belt. However much, I would I like to see Brock... The <laughs> do it right now.
2: This be, if, if, who would like to see, I would like to see Brock and Angle go at it. It's a little bit early for it. So, yeah, I I think you put them in with Rock to deliver a main event on an A show. Someone that has done it for longer. You should get a better better performance and a better match out of it. Um, Rory, I will go to you first. Overalls and scores.
3: Yeah, I, again, thoroughly enjoyed this show a lot of critiques about almost every match. So I think this is one that is best enjoyed start to finish. A lot of the pay-per-views we've talked about over the last year, I'd say with the WWF are ones that are probably best enjoyed. If you just dive into the the very best moments, if you know what I mean? I think this one, the lesser matches and the ones which have their flaws, which is most of them to be perfectly honest, they're less if you take the show as a whole two hour 40 minutes and the fact that i was so looking forward to coming on this show again and watching it with the aforementioned critical eye just just kept me in there for the two or forty. i didn't think about splitting the show into installments or anything like that so i think a final score i probably am going to bring it down slightly from where i thought i was going to be i'm going to go for a highly creditable seven and a half for vengeance 2002 very much a recommended show i don't think it's quite a blow away I don't think it has a true classic match as much as the main event delivered everything it in- intended to. And they ticked their wall chart of boxes pretty much top left corner to bottom right. Not without its problems, but I don't think at the same time there are too many issues that came up that really needed solving on the pay-per-view leading up to, re- uh, leading up to SummerSlam and they're where they want to be with the people they want to be there with. So 7.5 Vengeance 2002, I will more than take that for a B-level show at this stage.
4: There's a Del- vicious, there vicious rumour circling that I just go second in these reviews and then just copy the score. But <laughs> I do agree with a 7.5 with Ori. Um, th- there is, just in reflection, we can over it tonight, there is a couple of matches. Like the Regal one just didn't really work. The Booker T one just didn't really work because who was in it. But the the other stuff that was good was really good. Like the opening couple of matches. Again, I think they had the wrong order, but they stand up, the main event delivered the story stuff in the middle. Maybe went a bit long way. The Steph Hunter, Bischoff, Sean situation. But again, I like it for a story point of view because it breaks in the the matches. Um, but the main event was to say on a B show, I always can engage in how big the show is. And for a July pay per view, this over delivered for me. It would probably under deliver if it was a, a Mania or a SummerSlam or even a Survivor series. But for a placeholder pay per view, which it essentially is, because are we still classifying it as a Big Five? Personally, I would say I more so maybe just because we got the right king of the ring this year, I'll include that as a big five, but for going between June and August it it really did deliver for me, when it was good, it really was good Like the un-American stuff works because it ties in a story and a match the um, Nidia, Jamie Noble stuff I really love but again they delivered in the match as well you could argue maybe that the Jeff Hardy situation over the last couple of weeks, the build that he's had with the taker match and then the title and then the Kind of damp squibby A match is a bit of a down point, and as I say, there was some stuff that went a bit long. But for an overall show, it's easy to watch, which is the biggest thing. These days, when it is still the twelve pay per views a year, and then even additional ones now and then for the Britain things, it's really quite hard to sit down, especially in a five week month when you've got the five rows as well. It's quite hard to focus on a pay per view when it is maybe something that you're not going into with the highest expectations. But overall, I think if you mark this any less than a seven and a half of what it could have been going in, I think it would be criminal. So seven and a half solid for me. Yeah.
2: Um, July seems to be a good month for the Fed, these B shows. Invasion last year, this this year. Um, you know, I could have done...
3: Pugin well, it with... was excellent too, despite. <laughs> you got to uh, have one, haven't classic.
2: <laughs> Especially the end.
3: <laughs>
2: could, have, could have done without... The 20 minutes of trips, you know, tighten that up a little bit would have been a bit nicer. Booker and Big Show, as I said, if I never get to see them ever again in a ring against each other, I will die happy. But as I said, for a B-show, this is a fucking stormer. And uh, I will go with, with the consensus of the group, seven and a half being the score across across everything on this. Um, so we will go into the TV to finish out the month. The night after on Raw, Easy comes out to tell us that HBK is going to be Triple H's manager. Sean is not very happy about this and wants to go for a wander off, but Hunter manages to uh, give him an idea of what to do. Um, we see the European and IC belts unified with RVD beating Jeff Hardy in a ladder match. And Triple H's grand idea was to reform DX for all of five seconds, as he takes out trip takes out HBK. You conniving bastard! Um, we also see uh, Taker being very miserable and battering the shit out of Chris Nowinski. Whatever did he do wrong? On the SmackDown um, for this. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it because my skybox went to shit. But Rory, I hear that you did manage to see it. Um,
3: I hear that Rey Mysterio made his debut. Yes, he did. Much much trumpeted debut against Chavo Guerrero. Let's get that one out of the way early, shall we? Uh, Rey looked bloody marvellous in there. Only one example, but I would say the fears that the WWE are going to rein him in to his detriment at least on the current showing, I think they're going to be unfounded.
2: And uh, anything else of note happen on that? I think Brock... Uh, Brock Lesnar turned up
3: after he was seen in the limo at the end of Raw, but... You've, I've already given you my feelings on everybody switching between Raw and Smackdown and the importance or lack of of that battle. So I'll throw back to you very quickly, Mr. Lacey. And for the
2: final Raw of the month, we see Chris Benoit beating RVD to take the IC title. Uh, a couple of Samoan lads have turned up for a three-minute moment, and they batter Mae Young and Mueller. Uh The Un-Americans beat down Taker. Trips tells us why... He turned on HBK because he's has been, and trips has passed him by. And we see that HBK's had his head put through a car window. Intrigue. And we see a fairly decent main event between Rock and Flair. Um, Rock obviously gets the win, but Flair probably his best performance since uh, coming back as an active wrestler since the Rumble, um, and to end the show we hear that Roar is Jericho and uh, he beats the shit out of Flair. So with the TV coming out of the month, um, anything that you want to pick up on boys, I will go
4: to Del first. I Just uh, just a solid monthly TV list, I mean we always go back to that word solid and now apparently stuff with already but um, some pretty solid stuff, yeah. if you'll forgive me. But um, but no, I think it was f- the risk of getting into these months when it isn't a big paper. we used to always have it, even going back maybe a couple of year ago, where if it was like a, like a July in WWF and it was like a placeholder, like a fully loaded that it was much last year with the invasion. But you would always have a bash to fall back on with WCW. Now that we don't have that, these months can be a wee bit of a, a two thousand and one or two thousand and three for us soccer fans because you've not got a World Cup or a Euros to look for it to and it can be hard to fill fill the months, but they've actually done really well overall. I would say this month with the, the new guys coming in that we touched on last month, Leslie with Batista and and Orton and Cena and these kind of guys, they've got that kind of stake in the future. But you're also seeing Ric Flair, main event a TV show, fighting for a title. You've got Hogan as a, a tag team champion bringing, God forbid, actually bringing on new generations of talent instead of just stamping the foot down, brother. And when you've got Jeff Hardy and matches that are getting... A made man out of. you've got titles that are actually starting to mean something, you've got angles with, with alliances that, that work with the Un-Americans, it doesn't feel as if we're going to be going back to a 19, uh, 1997 um, gang rules situation where it's just everybody is in an entourage
3: yeah.
4: that one's actually got its place there was a couple of, <laughs> as, as Flory mentioned, the intergender matches just, I hope that doesn't become a thing um, but no, I just thought it was a really a really good month in roll on SummerSlam because this time next month we could well be looking at one of the youngest heavyweight champions in history. And if we do, I wouldn't be disappointed. If we don't, I don't think it's going to be the end of them. I think it's, dare I say, quite a blossoming future. And we were this time last year and the, the, just the, the absolute wet fart if we're the, uh, where the the invasion was going. The, the future unless I cush the timeline, actually looks quite
2: promising. <laughs> Rory, um, overalls, but particularly, are we going to get HBK back in a ring? Uh,
3: maybe. I feel like we've been trailing this in every new story we've done since April 1998, but I wonder, I really do wonder, I think they've done it really quite well, I've got to be honest. I think the through-show storyline on Raw that was set up on Vengeance, as overly long as that was, very, very smart. Because HBK had a reason to walk out. He doesn't really want to be Triple H's manager. No, friendship be damned. But Triple H sees that to his advantage, probably understands that HBK doesn't want to be his manager, but, oh, I've got a bright idea. Reform DX, he's not going to turn that one down. And the turn was really smart. I didn't see it coming at all. I absolutely didn't. Shouldn't it be noted that once best friends, always best friends, that was the most protected pedigree I've ever seen. He released Michaels so, so early. He was nowhere near the fucking mat on that one. So when in the storyline, Bischoff said the next week, or you two aren't friends anymore. Oh, they really fucking are. I hate to bring light in on magic. But yeah, I was, I had a whole spiel planned for why I think Triple H was right to turn heel. Because of course I did. But as you say, intrigue that might not have happened. At, I think there will be a reveal that he was somehow involved in the car smash, but at the moment we don't know that, and I haven't seen any spoilers in the sheets, so if that does happen for next month, I'll save that one till then, so that's something for you to look forward to. But yeah, I suppose then it would be HBK versus Triple H, wouldn't it, and be HBK's first proper match back for four and a half years? Mm. Yeah. I haven't got to this point of fatherhood yet, but I'm sure in a few months' time when the little one is walking around the carpet and she gets very close to the skirting board and I'm watching it through my hands like this, that's what I'm going to be like watching HBK when anybody doesn't move to his back, be it in a month's time or a year's time or whenever. So I hope he's ready to come back. He's been making noises about doing so for the last... 10 or 11 months, pretty pretty much since the end of the invasion angle. If he's ready, I can't wait to see it, comma, if he's ready.
2: I I have the feelings this might be a one and done. It might have to be. And it being the fact that he's it, if, if, you know, if we go by wrestling logic, this is what this is building to, because it's obvious wrestling storytelling. If he's going to be in the ring with anyone, being in there with your best buddy who will protect, protect him. yes. <laughs> but will still make it yeah, absolutely. look good. I think he is in safe hands. It's just I, I just hope that he is in a condition enough to bring it in. Um, I do feel for you for next month when, uh, as I said, the American Badass Booger Red is about and protecting America. um, but yeah there's there's enough coming out of this that I'm intrigued to see where we go with SummerSlam Um, obviously the only match we have definitive is Brock Rock Um, but as I said I I would imagine that Sean and Taker or Sean and Trips will be something maybe a six man with the Un-Americans and you know Rikishi, Booger Red and Hogan maybe who knows? Um, but yeah, it it's one of those things. The first time in a while, there is enough new blood and newbies about that there is a bit of intrigue, and we might get some freshness that we that has been a bit stagnant for for a while. And Big Show and Booker T were nowhere near each other this after the pay per view. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> So anything else you boys want to add in before we uh, call it an evening?
3: Just thanks very much for having me back and putting up with my stuff and nonsense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, Del, as always, it is a fucking pleasure to have you on. I Got you in two are. months in a row. Um, anything you want to shill? Any any snack-based
4: trivial <laughs> questions? <laughs> any, hope- any general hope- confectionery queries? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I'm, I'm just happy to see Rory back. It's nice to see that we've at least kept the, the product alive in your absence. And um, I think I'll give every day a wee rest for me for a couple of months. I may too make my glorious return in four and a half years, but we'll see how, we'll see how Sean manages it. I don't want to believe in it to um, passing it in the ring and having shaky hands and unable to even put on a pair of brass knuckles or something random like that um, I think I'll be back at some point but it's just more more to the point it's just good to have a valiant leader back at least in small form <laughs> yeah.
2: Though I I do expect next time I want the part history of the tonic tea cake
4: That would allow me that I would need to analyse them which would mean I can't just fucking demolish them as soon as they come That's in my bad. house if the point ever gets that I can be trusted to have confectionery left in my cupboards, I will try my best for that.
2: Or we can just have the, the ultimate blast off of which is better, the tea cake or the uh, caramel finger.
4: Neither, the because the caramel wafer is grossly overrated and the caramel log is thus superior because it has roasted coconut on it. Oh! We don't a get them down here. Carmel waiver is just a poor man's caramel log, and the fact that you can get a broken bag of them in the Glasgow Forge market for 50 pence that comes with about 17 broken caramel logs
2: just sends <laughs> it
4: over the edge. Oh, I, oh. Do
2: need to, I do need to go up north because we don't get them down these parts.
4: You need some caramel logs in your life, and no, that is not a euphemism. <laughs>
2: Rory, our fearless leader and exalted one, does one have anything to uh, shill plug? He plug does.
3: He absolutely does. Uh, guys, you. Well, I was going to say holding the fort. You haven't held the fort. We we, we we haven't held the fort. We all do this bloody show, but you kept it rolling, and the shows have been brilliant. Of course, they have. Uh, thanks for having me back. I will be presenting, of sorts, for the SummerSlam show bit of a co-present with the other guys. Uh, That one will be coming up pretty quickly after this one. Look out for that in a couple of weeks. Uh, Five of us will be attending Clash at the Castle in a few weeks' time as well. And we will have some form of of podcasting programming for you for Clash at the Castle. Not sure what that's going to entail yet because how on earth could you plan for something like that? But there will be a special show at some point in September. And then back probably in the saddle again, I'll be presenting September. We'll be splitting it out again for the rest of the year. And you know the drill. But thanks very much, everybody, for all your kind words. Very much appreciated in this house. And here we go again.
2: I can't believe you are giving the Fed
3: money to uh, <laughs> see that shit. So you know, I, now that I listen, I listen to your comments. On the may may show, Mister Lacey. I, I just, I'm here to offer alt, alternate viewpoint. That's all.
4: Even though <laughs> just, perhaps, just right, make sure you weren't any... We're not wrong. Just make sure that any funds that you are putting into the company are declared. We don't want to be reading this <laughs> in 20 years with a Wall Street Journal expose. <laughs> yeah, anything
2: that's coming out of the of the, uh, the company account needs to be for company business, not paying off uh, your beer tabs.
4: <laughs> I've heard it called a lot of things in my life, but I've never heard it called just clearing up my bathtub. tab. <laughs> Uh, so,
2: I will be continuing with the joys that I do in my other form um, with the Comic Stash, uh, Lacey and Seddy's Comic Stash, which you can find on the YouTubes. Just search Lacey and Said and you'll find them. Um, we are also doing our music reacts on there, which we have had two Ramstein videos up. One has got just shy of 3,000 views, one has got just shy of 2,000 views so get on them fucking everyone loves to hear me talking about ramstein clearly um so yeah if you like music or you like comic books come over join us subscribe and do all that other YouTube shit because you know it gets the algorithms up and makes more people find us because that's the good shit um as for wrestling 20 years ago obviously follow us on twitter where you can converse with rory as he is the main man on there even though Mel loves us have logins Um, On the Facebook, and you can deal with Adam and his weird and wonderful This Day in History that he's been putting up recently, which I must commend him for. Very, very well written. Um, So Facebook, that is Wrestling 20 Years Ago. And on Twitter is Wrestling20YRS. Do that. Um, And if you really feel like it, you can follow all of us on there because we're all there on uh, the Twitters as well i am taking a break for a little while i may be back uh, later in the year on a normal show but i will definitely be back for the always fun annual end of year awards um putting my two pence in for why RBD is you know the worker of the year rest of the year greatest man oh, alive.
3: you will won't you
2: <laughs> as always um, but until Summerslam and Rory taking his place back as the overlord and host. I've been Lacey, Rory's been here, Del's been here, we've had some fun, and we will see you next month.